0: Before we get started, I gotta tell you, the interview you're about to watch was a bear to edit. You're gonna have a little bit of hiccups throughout the interview, but I'll tell you something. The content here was so good, I didn't want to let these guys off the phone. We went longer off the phone, off Skype. We went longer than we ordinarily do because the quality was so good, of the quality of the information, not the quality of the connection. In fact, pay attention to the serial story that they tell somewhere about 40% into the interview. You guys are gonna love that. I should say that the editing and so much of the work here is sponsored for, paid by, and supported by these three great companies. The first is Grasshopper, the virtual phone system that entrepreneurs love. Because with Grasshopper you get the extensions and everything that you want in a robust phone system, but you can manage it online and use your regular phones uh, with the system. So check out grasshopper.com. Also check out shopify.com because as you've seen, so many entrepreneurs here on Mixergy have sold things online. and uh, and if you want to start to sell things directly to your customers, not just advertising but products, check out Shopify.com. They'll set you up in a, with a store within minutes. Five minutes is all it took me. Shopify.com. Thirdly, I want to tell you about Rich WP. If you go to Rich WP, you get a new theme for your website. I've said over and over again that just retheming, reskinning my website helped me get bigger and better interviews because it communicated authority. It communicated that I was somebody with more than just a, a tiny little blog. So check out richwp.com, get your own theme, customize it, make it your own, go out there and do incredible things so that I can come back and interview you. All right, those are the sponsors. Here's, here's the interview. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Warner, founder of Mixergy.com, home of the ambitious upstart and of the upstart whose system just keeps having issues, but we got it working now. So today I've got with me Brian Chesky and Joe Gibbia. In fact, Brian, can you raise your hand so people know who you are? And the other guy with the glasses right there, that's Joe. They are the co-founders of Airbnb, a site that Time Magazine called the eBay of space. It's an online marketplace that allows anyone from pri- private residents to commercial properties to rent out their extra space. How many how many listings do you guys have on the site?
1: <laughs> so – um yeah, well, so uh, uh, while we don't disclose the number of listings we have, we have listings in 2,200 cities in 110 countries, and we've got about 75,000 travelers on our site.
0: Okay, 75,000 travelers meaning people who are looking for places to stay, right? Right. Okay. We have got a few issues here. People who are watching this live are telling me that it's choppy. We've got a couple of issues. Number one, it's freezing in here, which is why I'm wearing this, this excessive sweater here in, <laughs> in the summer of Buenos Aires. Number two, we got a couple of people here in the interview, which I, I don't really do much, but I wanted to, get to know, uh, I wanted to get to know the company as well as possible. There are three co-founders, right? Right. And today we're getting to know two. And then there's, there's also some kind of lag, but we'll work with it, right? That's what it means to be an upstart. If we were CNBC, the show i don't think would have as much meaning this is an upstart helping other upstarters build their businesses by talking to so, guys like you who are building some some interesting companies and getting traction what amazed me about you guys is the way that you solve the chicken and egg problem you know you've got a website that, that's supposed to have listings in order to get um, um, travelers and supposed to get travelers in order to get listings so i want to know how you guys did it and how you did it so well that's number one number two everybody knows my freaking fascination with Y Combinator and everything to do with the whole ecosystem there I wanna know how you guys won Y Combinator over how you uh, what you got out of it beyond the money and I wanna know how it helped you build from there I'm also fascinated by how a website like yours can get so much freaking press I mean I saw you in the New York Times, and then I saw Time magazine on your website, and then I started uh, doing some research, and I came across the Washington Post, and then I went to your press page, which just had. So there's a lot for us to cover over here. All right, let's let's go back to where this idea came okay. from. In in the conversation we had before the interview started, you said that you started off in your living room. At what point were you in your right. living room? Right, which, which is which is only night? about
1: ten feet. So. Um, We're going back to October of 2007, and by the way, let me know if the video is going to be a problem, but I'll just keep talking otherwise. So October of 2007, and actually the living room is about 10 feet away from where we are now. So we're in the original apartment where this all started, and it happened because um, Joe here was living in this apartment in San Francisco with our other co-founder, Nathan Boczarsik, and Nate eventually ended up moving out. And so, I was living in Los Angeles, Joe's like, I got an extra room, and so I said, well, you know, I'd love to come up to San Francisco. I literally was pretty impulsive, quit my job, moved up here, here we were in this amazing like apartment that we have now, and because it's so nice, it was really, really expensive. So here you are, a couple expiring entrepreneurs, you know, kind of unemployed, there's a fine line there, you know, trying to figure out a way to make money, and uh, that was kind of the problem, right? Like We essentially had a problem and the problem was we needed to make rent and we also wanted to meet people because we wanted to you know, get a business going. So the opportunity came. It was actually literally that weekend. There was an international design conference coming to San Francisco and on the conference website, all the hotels they listed were sold out. So you had like, you know, hotel, 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 and it just said sold out, sold out, sold out. Here we are thinking, well, we need to make some extra money. We'd love to meet some people. And you have all these people attending this conference that need a place to stay. So that's when the kind of light bulb went off in our head and we said we should create a little designer bed and breakfast. So we pulled out a couple air beds from our um closet, laid them out and we said, "Ah, oh, that's what it that's what it's going to be. It's going to be the air bed and breakfast." And this was not necessarily like this like mm-hmm. you know, we weren't it wasn't like back in 2007 we're reading hacker news every day like hoping to one day start a web startup. We literally were a couple designers that had a problem, tried to come up with a solution for one weekend. We ended up hosting um you know, we put up the site thinking That we're gonna have a couple young backpacking kids use it, right? We figured maybe like a couple guys our age or early 20s from Los Angeles will fly up to the conference, stay with us, really modest goals. Um, I remember us talking to our friends and family, people thinking, well, you know, I I think maybe this is something that young kids would do. I don't really see older people doing it. I'm not sure if, you know, various other people would use it. Well, we ended up having three people stay with us, and the three people stay with us broke all assumptions about the business, the market, everything. And it, ever since then, we've been thinking about this a little differently. The first person that stayed with us was a guy who's from India. So this guy had literally like tracked us down, like he, he wanted to stay at our place so badly because we basically created this like little website and they, they just thought it was so cool. It was his opportunity to finally stay in San Francisco for a really cheap, be able to meet people. The second person that stayed with us was a 35-year-old woman from Boston. So here you go, not the demographic we were expecting, somebody from Boston, older. And the third person who totally surprised us. It was a 45-year-old father of five from Utah that ended up staying with us. At this point, we're thinking basically three totally demogra- different demographics, absolutely passionate about this idea. Maybe there's a bigger market there. So we ended up posting these people. I think we made close to $1,000 over the course of a week. We were able to pay our rent. We met some amazing designers, had, like, seriously, an unbelievable time, the times of our lives. And you know after something like that happens, it's that successful, you know, just the, the things started blossoming from there.
2: Picture, picture this, Andrew. You're going to a con- five-day conference in a city you've never been to before, and just juxtapose the difference between going back to the seclusion of a hotel room, some box that disconnects you from the city that you're in, to going back to somebody's apartment with other people. It's a very social environment. And that was the feedback that we got from, from these three guests. They absolutely loved the social element that, that we brought to the table in addition to saving money and in addition to getting to see San Francisco through the eyes of locals. And So this was really, just it for it inspired your inspired own place?
0: Too.
2: Right. This was just meant to be our apartment. There was this nothing was not meant, meant beyond be that. Apartment. It was this
0: just was, you guys were building a website, building this thing just for your own apartment. Right. For one weekend. And then it just because people liked it because friends. Sorry, go ahead.
2: (laughs) I was going to tell you, um, we started to get emails from other designers here in San Francisco that said, "Hey, can I do this too? How can I participate? I have some extra space. Can I rent it through your website?" And at the time, it was just us, and we started to think, "Well, why not?"
0: I see, and the only other places where people could do this before. we got we got some kind of lag over here. It's all right. We'll we'll make it all work. Um, <laughs> it, people, by the way, in the chat room are are speculating on the computer that you guys are on. Are you on a MacBook Air? MacBook Pro. MacBook Pro. Me too. The Pro should be able to handle this. All right. We keep chugging along here. Uh, by the way i think this the the content of these interviews needs to be so good that if somebody in the background like if your third co-founder nathan was in the background scratching a record on a record player as we we're all talking yeah. that the content should be so freaking helpful that people should still be just s- sitting there and almost squinting their ears trying to get every last bit of information and that's what we're trying to that's what i'm trying to bring out of this something that's that helpful um, and i and by the way guys if some people are speculating that it's the background effects. It's not. It's not the background effects on the live show. It's I'm seeing that on Skype here we've got a bit of a delay. Let's keep moving though. Okay. This is just happenstance. You built this thing for yourselves. You built it because you wanted to rent down some extra space that you had on air mattresses. How many air mattresses do you have? You own three air mattresses? Yep. How do you end up with three air mattresses? <laughs>
2: How do we have three interventions? We have a, we have a sizable apartment. And we, we love to host friends when they come to San Francisco. So we always have extra accommodations you know, just in case. Um, and it, it's, this opportunity allowed us to actually monetize those extra you know, air beds that we had in the extra space that we're already paying for. So We're already paying rent for this space. So what this idea allowed us to do is actually use that space to help pay off our rent.
0: Okay. All right. Then what was the next step? You've got now a website that works just for you. What are you doing after that?
1: Right. So here we are. It was back in October 2007. We did it one weekend. No idea of doing a business. All of a sudden, maybe there's something bigger there. Trying to solve our own problem. Then people are saying, well, I have the same problem. At that point, you know, a few months went by. You know, we kind of had other things going on in our lives. And I remember Joe and I, we went home for Christmas. Um, you know, you talk to your families, everyone's like, you know, you go to home for the holidays, people say, well, what are you working on? And, you know, we probably both had similar conversations. Well, you know, I'm doing this project and that project, but we also have this other thing, Airbed and breakfast. Air and what? And then you get into the conversation, and we started realizing everyone was really excited. They would love to do it. We came back from New Year's, and, you know, I, I remember asking Joe a question. You know, we're both designers by trade. I asked him, who's the best developer you know, best hacker you know? And it turns out that um, Joe's old roommate, you know, that like that moved out so I could take the room, was our third co-founder, Nathan Boczarcik. Um, You know, he, he was a really, really talented developer, um, uh, you know, he, um from Harvard and he funded his education by a business he started in high school. Very impressive. He had already done a startup before this and, you know, at that point, we are like, well, we
2: absolutely have to get this guy. Well, we, we knew, Andrew, that if, if we were going to take this site to the next level, um, two designers couldn't do that on their own. So we needed some really good programming expertise, and that's where we, we filled that void with our third co-founder, Nathan. So yep,
1: okay. um, yep, yeah, yeah. and this is after New Year's, and we said, you know, at this point we're still thinking, like, let's do something kind of manageable. So we said, let's identify the next really big event where there's going to be a housing crunch, and let's try to provide housing. Back in February of 2008, what event was coming up? Well, South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. We thought that would be great, you know, very kind of early adopters, pretty connected. So I remember um, Joe and I went to Nate's apartment, and we basically pitched him the idea to, like, start working on this. And he loved the idea. And then he, the next thing he goes, all right, great, how many months do we have to build this? And we said, we got three weeks. And the way we got to convinced him to do it is we didn't call it and breakfast. We said – we just said – I well, like to Joe like as long as you put the word light after it it won't seem that bad so he said we're not building airbend and breakfast we're building airbend and breakfast light and it will be just this little website and he's like okay okay and we literally worked our butt off for like you know just just only a few weeks um, for this stuff, really the really that I we call the first like robust version of the site and that ver that vision did not have online payments like it has now. It was merely to provide housing for conferences. And that was our, uh, kind of the first entry into the market.
2: That's where we thought the market was, was housing for conferences. That's allow people to connect with each other when they go to a city for a conference
0: okay can you describe what it looked like and the yeah. reason that i'm asking is i can what i know about you guys from the research that i did before this interview what i know from you guys by the fact that you took the effort to put a map behind you for my little dinky interview here with with my skype video that could barely <laughs> even handle a call like this it shows me that you guys care about design it shows me that you guys care about the looks it shows me that you guys probably internally are laughing your asses off at my sweater here and so i want to know that, <laughs> Apparently, you not not, uh, not holding back the laughter. What I want to know is, <laughs> for people who really care about design, what did you put out there as that first version? And then what did it feel like to put that out there?
2: Well, the very first version, Andrew, we made in one night. When we put up our first website, we made it overnight because we had to. The conference in San Francisco was literally days away. Um, and I'll never forget when we put the website up, we immediately had something to talk about and to share. And so what we did is we wanted to get the word out. So we emailed the site to as many design bloggers that we possibly could. And you know, Brian and I will, will never forget the morning when we woke up and suddenly there we were on core77.com. There we were on swissmiss.com and some of these premier design blogs talking about this, this idea that you know, had only just come to us days before. And here it was like being broadcast to the world.
0: And so, that's just because um, the, something the to say first page about make- looked
2: so good that they were all talking about it? <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't go that far. I would say the idea was so original. Um, it was less about the form at that point and more about the idea. Okay, because
0: crowdsur- uh, I, crowdsurf- uh, couchsurfing.com already existed. Craigslist already existed. What was different about you guys was the air mattress part, that it was going to be air bed and breakfast, right? And that's what was so interesting that people talked about.
2: Well, what, what made our site different even from that very first one night iteration was that we had a profile element to the site. We really wanted to know the people who were coming to stay with us and let them know who they were staying with. So that, that one little spark of just showing our pictures along with pictures of our place and information about where we went to school, where did we work, it, you know, our biography basically. Right. I think it was a convergence. On
1: couch surfing, you saw the photo of the person. On Craigslist you saw the photo of the place, but on no website did you see both like the person and their place. Um, I think that was one really important ingredient that made it really compelling. I think the other thing that made it compelling was that, especially the way we launched, we identified events so such that Craigslist you may or may not have anything in common with the person on Couchsurfing you both have a common interest in Couchsurfing, but maybe not specifically in like the conference you're going to, and that's a really focused interest. I think because of those two reasons, you saw the designer, their place, and they were going to the same conference you were, it, it, You know, and of course, you were saving money, but you were getting a real accommodation. You weren't necessarily getting a couch. You were getting like a whole bedroom. They were making money. It was a great networking tool. I think all these things kind of made it very compelling.
0: Okay. By the way, um, I'm reading the chat room as we're talking, and Andrew SG, apparently it bothers him that you guys are leaking link juice, that you're not maximizing your search engine optimization. <laughs> do you guys put any effort into it? And by the way, I understand he's a guy who's passionate about that. And he right, must, right, look, at, right. he must um, look at websites all day long and just freak out at the opportunities people are missing out. Do you guys do any search engine optimization? Is he right?
1: Uh, it, it's, it's, I, I admit yeah, it's a very new initiative for us. And we think he's totally right. There's a lot of room for us to improve it. Um, our strategy, you know, from where we came from, and I, I think it kind of explains where, you know, we started off just getting a lot of press, and we relied on press and word of mouth to grow. Now that we're growing a bit more, we're having to get a bit more serious about SEO, such as optimization, and um, so there, we've been having discussions, you know, very recently about improving that, so.
0: All right, good observation, sure. Andrew. Okay, um, so you guys are going down to, to South by Southwest, yeah. You've built a site that looks a little bit better than that first site. What did that second version, yeah. that what you call light version, look like?
2: Um, well, it was well, it was pretty light. <laughs> it was pretty light. Um, we only had three weeks, so it yeah. had to be quick. We couldn't spend a lot of time, you know, debating certain things. We just had to make quick decisions, get the site out there, get people using it. It the, the, the first version was like
1: the first version wasn't much more than a like a like a like a quick little like some like blogger kind of makeshift thing. The second version was a very very quick web app. Uh, you know, I would consider it a web app. You know, but very very quick. Like it certainly wasn't a robust, robust website like you see now. You know, it really had like five or pages that were key to the use. You know, it had a, a little bit of content. But you know, not, nothing too substantial. You know, in the history of our company, we never really went for the private, you know, beta or the stealth mode. And, you know, we've done a very many series of iterations, and this was only a second. And of course, there were many more to come. So you know, we provided, you know, we provided housing.
2: I think we had like forty or 30, 30 40 people list yeah, their place. About 30, 40 people list in Austin. These are these are complete strangers, by the yeah. way. This is the first time. These are not friends and family who just want to help us out. These are people that we've never met before.
0: Okay, then let's stop um, there. How did you get those people?
2: So, we... Um,
1: what we did was we really... So, so from the very beginning, we always tried to get a lot of press. We tried to leverage the fact that people started talking about our story. And so, um, I believe that we had gotten a Mashable um, blog post. It was a very little one. And the website wasn't very substantial, but we did get blogged and Mashable. We got a number of the old design press. So all of our has always started from a pyramid. We always get the smallest you know, blog that anyone who wants to cover us to cover us. And then go to the next guy and say, well, they covered us, and you kind of like move up the ladder. And so what we did is all the original blog posts, you know, blog, uh, design sites, we try to get them to mention us again. And, of course, it wasn't totally efficient, right? We had to get a number of blog posts just to get a couple users. Later on, we started realizing it would be better to get more specific and targeting people and going to the city. At this point, we didn't know that. So, at this point, all we knew was people seemed to like to talk about us on the Internet. We should just keep getting people to talk to find out more about us. So, our strategy was to get a number of people to blog about us. And, of course, we're talking about, like, 30 users. We're not talking about thousands of users. So, the, mo- the goals are pretty modest, and we got pretty good press. And you know, we're able to get enough people, like 20 or 30 people, maybe 30, 40 people to post in Austin. This is about two years ago. And um, we had a, f- a few people book rooms. Um, and one of the real turning points of the company is that Joe and I went and we used the site. And it was the first time that we really like, started putting ourselves in perspective of a user, using your own product. And when we use a site, it changed everything. Um, it changed the perspective about what a website like this should be. And we totally changed all of our assumptions. The first thing we changed was the idea that this should not be like Craigslist that you should not exchange cash in person um, and the reason why was because you know I had this amazing experience you know I show up at the airport the host was so generous because you know, that he decided to pick me up from the airport because he figured well don 't bother getting a taxi I know you 're coming in i 'll come by i 'll pick you up. His girlfriend was um, you know making us a Vietnamese dinner and he was a PhD student at the University of Texas at Austin. They had like a nice air bed laid out in the kitchen, or in, in the living room. Sorry, <laughs> not the kitchen. And uh, you know, they had this amazing dinner set up. And at some point, he turned around to me and he said, "All right, well, where's my money?" It wasn't like quite that direct, but it like suddenly like, everything was cool, and all of a sudden it wasn't cool. It felt like very shady. And we're starting to think to ourselves, we cannot like, we can't have people all over the world like exchanging cash like this. Like it, it's just gonna be really, really awkward. And I, I believe maybe I had to like go to the ATM to get the cash, and everyone's kind of uptight. We started thinking. I tell. I remember coming back and telling, "We have to automate that the the payment process." Now, this is back in uh, early 2008, right before people started worrying about websites making money. So, of course, for us, you know, we're just trying to have fun. We weren't, of course, worrying about a revenue model. So, it turned out that this was a revenue model, taking a transaction fee and facilitating payments through the site. But the reason we did it was truly from a user experience. We thought it was a horrible experience to have to pay pay cash. Um, The second thing we started realizing at the event. People started saying, I'd love to use you to go to London, but you don't have an event on the website for London. Like, or I want to go use you guys. Like, we talked to people at Austin, right, at, the, at the conference, South by Southwest, and they'd say, I love your site. I want to use it to go to wherever next week. or you know, There was no conference on our website to do that. So we started thinking to ourselves, A, maybe there should be payments to their website, and B, maybe this is bigger than conferences. And it never occurred to us before that. I mean, it kind of did, but not really, because we started thinking, well, you know, the real problem is conferences, because hotels get sold out, and people want to know who they're staying with.
2: The the turning point, Andrew, is when people started emailing us from London, from Tokyo, from Vancouver, from Miami, and they either were writing because they wanted to travel through our service, or they wanted to host through our service, but at the time, we were just housing for conferences. You had to list a room to an event. When the event was over, the listing went away. So those two fundamental changes have you know, altered you know, our direction of the company. Online payments, it's the first time you can book a listing online with your credit card, and it's now a travel site. You can travel anywhere in the world regardless of an event. So this is back in,
1: now Now we're, we're at around April of 2008. So here we were, we built a first version that was like a one-day website, and a second version was like a three-week website. Then we went back to, to Nate and basically went to the drawing board and said alright we're going to start over one more time. At this point we didn't have very many users and we said let's start off over and we're going to do two differences now. Now you can book a room on the site, so you can put in your credit card and we had this saying three clicks of the book it button, had to be three clicks of the book it button. And it kind of well, came let, from the let's old story. Let's say that, that was,
0: slowly so that I hear and also the transcribers hear it, three book, three clicks to what? The book it button. Three. Clicks to the book it button. So I land on the home right. page, I don't click more than three times before I get to the book it button so that I right. can book the room. Right. And that was unique
1: because um, on, on our site previously, you had to sign up, find your event, add your profile, contact people. There was this long flow. We decided that what would make our site revolutionary and different than Craigslist or Couchsurfing or all the other vacation websites is like what made us different was that you could just go online and just book it. Um, And there wasn't, you know, before that, there was long exchanges. Now, you can still message now on our site, but we wanted, at any point along the process, give somebody the option to get to exactly where they wanted to go and make it turnkey like a hotel or as much as possible. Make it very streamlined. Um, You know, it kind of came back from inspiration that, like, you know, the original iPod, what was so different about it is no matter where you were on the product, you could always get to your song in three clicks. Right, and it was the same kind of idea. Um, so, and the other thing was, we decided why limit this to events, especially events in the United States. So we said, you know what? Forget events. You can book anywhere in the world on our website. You can pay and book anywhere in the world. That was the new idea, the big idea. That, and that is essentially what we have today. So we started working on this website around April, May of two thousand eight, and. You know of I'll get to the, the the very first question you asked us, and this is a, this is in response to that you asked us um how do you solve all
0: right, so we lost the connection, we reconnected, and Brian, you were going to answer the chicken and egg question that I asked earlier
1: right so we're we're now back to may or yeah May of two thousand and eight three guys were we 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 created two little websites we're at the drawing board. Now we want to create a site with online payments where people all over the world are going to list their properties and you're going to be able to book them. That's a great vision. We thought, it was a, we, thought we could build a great product. The problem was like it wasn't like you could start like a, a site like Yelp or Facebook. You could start with a single city because if people come to the website, they want to travel somewhere they're not. So we immediately had to get users all over the world to list their properties. And that was a real problem, a chicken egg problem. So we decided the only way to really solve it, or the way we decided to solve it, was let's try to just get a ton of press. We knew we are good at getting press, let's try to get a ton of press, let's do it one more time, and let's do it around an event so that when people do come to the site, it's going to be an international event where people all over the world are going to hear about it. They are going to, process to put up their place, but the event is still going to be in a single city, so the first time they use it, it's going to work and the payments are going to work. And so we're starting to think to ourselves, like, what's a good event to do? How are we mm-hmm. going to get a ton of press? And I remember we were sitting at home, and on the they have this, like, report. You know, of course, what's the biggest thing in the summer of 2008? What was the biggest thing going on? The election. You know, Barack Obama, he had just gotten the nomination for the Democratic Party, and he had done a speech in Portland where 70,000 people came out, and they weren't expecting that. Suddenly, they're saying... There's gonna be a ton of people going in Denver for the Democratic National Convention. They're moving him to an 80,000 seat football stadium and there's only 27,000 hotel rooms in the city. They actually did reports about that. And I think this was like New York Times that did this. They called it the housing panic of Denver. (laughs) And there we were. It's like, we're like, perfect, that's our opportunity. We're like, if we can't get press at this, this is our one shot. One shot, we're like, we're gonna launch for the Democratic National Convention and this is how we're gonna get press. And at this point, no one knew who we were, and so we basically told Nate, we said, this is what we're going to do. He was super excited about it, and we laid out a plan, and we spent about a month, month and a half building this new website that had online payments. You can now three clicks of the book it button, type in your city, click on the listing, click on the book it button, put in your credit card, you have a reservation. That was the idea. We want to do that in Denver. And so we basically did what we've always done with press, so the question is, how do we get a lot of press? And the answer to that was it always started as like an invert, like a pyramid. And you always start at the bottom and you work your way up to mainstream media. And the top of the pyramid is CNN or New York Times. The bottom of the pyramid are all, any, any a person that you could talk to, like a user, right? And we, we started just by getting all of our own blogs to blog about us. So anyone that previously blogged about us, we told them, like, we're telling you first that we're going to do this. So they blogged about us. Then we move up. Um, I remember we got into the local news in Denver. How do we get the local news in Denver? Well, we literally typed in like DNC housing crisis in Google News. We typed that in. And of course, a reporter wrote a story about how there was this housing crisis like, in the local news and they did an interview with some kid running his place on Craigslist and he was going to use that money to help pay for his like, tuition or for the semester or something like that. And so we literally, it was like midnight one night, we wrote that, the woman who wrote the story and said, if, you're, if you think a story about a single kid running out of his room is interesting, I'll give you a story about 500 people running their room. She called us, You wrote me back like that morning and says we want to do an interview for the local news. And so that was how we got pressed. We did that for a couple of different networks. We got on the local NBC News of, the, of Denver. Then you know, people in Denver saw the news. They started listing the room. Um, NBC covered us. Then the local CBS saw the NBC piece, so then they wanted to do a story with us. And then I think the Rocky Mountain News and a couple of the Denver Post saw the TV news, so they wanted to do a piece. So all of a sudden we're starting to get interviews. In the meantime. We created a really funny, viral kind of video on YouTube. Um, it was we, um, it was like basically an Obama-like song that we created, and um, it turned out that CNN had seen that video, and I think they had been hearing about the press, uh, just from the local news in Denver, because some of this stuff at this point was going out in the wire, and then one day we get an email from CNN saying that they want to do an interview with us. and It was actually not much different than what we've done now. It was through a, a Skype connection or a remote interview. and. Um, you know, as soon as we did that interview, you know, we went from literally a couple guys, a few guys in an apartment, no money, no real like traction, <laughs> to all of a sudden like being on New- in the New York Times, CNN. It really just snowballed. It started with the low plus press blogs, it branched out to local news, local newspapers. Then, you know, I think TechCrunch had covered us. Um, we sent an email to TechCrunch saying like all these people are covering us, you should cover us. They did and then we worked our way up, up to CNN and New York Times. At that point, you know, a lot of people had heard about us and we got on many newspapers. All right, let me dig into what you just
0: said right now. First of all, Brian, I think I saw your personal email address and your personal phone number on the press page of Airbnb. So you're the guy who's handling all the press up until now.
1: Um, Joe and I have done a lot of the press together.
0: But you don't have but a we've... PR person, it's in-house, it's done the way that you've described. <laughs>
1: Exactly, exactly. And um, we try to be extremely accessible to press. Like, we, we, we don't want to put out, we never really put out press releases. I think we tried to put out one when we first launched, but ever since then, we never, that really didn't lead to anything. We've always tried to go directly to people. We've always tried to work our way up the kind of pyramid. That's, that's our general philosophy. Start with bloggers. Once they cover you, usually what happens is the mainstream media seems to want to type in like in Google or they'll block or they, in to see if other people have already covered they like, for big big stories they want to be the exclusive but for something a story like ours they want to first see if other people are covering it and if other people cover you and you know the smaller the blog the more likely they are to cover you and the more they appreciate you reaching out to them and you just kind of work your way up and you know any relationship we have we try to cultivate so we always try to check into anyone who's written a story about us, Check in with them. Say, hey, you wrote about us in Austin for South by Southwest. We got something really cool we're working on now, so you know we just kind of followed up. Well,
2: the thing about this, Andrews, going back to that summer of 2008, we didn't we didn't have any money. I mean, all we had was our time. Um, so this was the most frugal way that we could think about getting press. It's just hustling, you know, digging into Google, finding reporters who are writing stories about this problem, you know, very high profile problem, and we offered them a very high profile solution, and they absolutely they, they loved it. They bit into it.
0: By the way, thank you guys for hooking up the Ethernet. It's so much clearer now, and now I feel like we're having a real conversation. There we uh, go. Uh, all right. Um, something that you guys told me in the email before we set up the before we uh, before the interview was that you have multiple launches. What do you mean by that, and how does that help you get press?
1: Right, so you know we're not even we're we're only like halfway through the, the story the launches, um, and it was funny because we spoke at Y Combinator, and you know the kind of thing we tell people um, whenever we're giving advice is don't go for the Super Bowl launch, um, don't go for one single thing, um, you don't have to worry about exclusive story. You think about it, we had our first launch the one day website, the second launch was the South by Southwest that was like the three week website, the third launch was August of two thousand eight it was this thing we we're just talking about. And we actually had like three or four kind of like launches after that as well. So, you know, when you're a really small company, like you have the opportunity to retell your story many, many times. As long as every time you tell it, there's something different about it. So for us, the first story was in our apartment. That was a different story, right? The next story was we're providing housing for conferences. The next story was we're solving this crisis. After that, what do we do next? Well, logically, the DNC worked so well, we did the same exact thing in Washington, D.C. for the inauguration. And turns out that the people that covered us on CNN did another piece about us. And then even more people covered us. We got on um, New York Times,
2: Wall Street Journal, Wall Street, yeah. The Guardian, international press this time, all around the world. We did a live interview with um, the, the CBC in Canada. So,
1: yeah, and it was just about building relationships, following up, getting to do more pieces, more stories. And, you know, when we, we were also extremely aggressive about the press. Every every corner, we tried to contact as many people as possible, and you know, just tell our story in a really interesting way. And I think people really responded to it. Um, one other thing we're leaving out that was totally off the wall. It's going to seem like it's coming from left field right now, so I'll just kind of like kind of set it up a little bit because it doesn't have seemingly anything to do our business. Um, we had this really really crazy idea. So 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 here here's here's kind of what happened. This is and this is maybe one of the most remarkable parts of the story. So here we were, we had been working on the site for close to a year now, like eight months, nine months, and after nine months, we had gotten a bunch of press at DNC. We still didn't have a lot of users, you know, we started to get some, we weren't making a ton of money, and, you know, you can only go so long with that, and we hadn't taken any investment money, and so at this point, you know, you can only go so long without any money. At this point, we're like, we need to start making money, and instead of going right after trying to get investment, we decided, let's try to do something resourceful within ourselves to make money. And we were brainstorming originally at the Democratic National Convention and maybe even for the Republican National Convention, what would be something we'd give to host um, that they could give to their, their guest as like an exchange, right? It'd be kind of a fun social interaction. We're thinking it'd be cool if, if it were airbed and breakfast, if they could give them breakfast. We could send them a breakfast to give to the travelers. But of course, we're not going to like mail them eggs or anything. we have to send them a non-perishable. And so we thought, what would be a non-perishable that was easily brandable? And, of course, to us, that seemed like cereal. It was the kind of thing that you leave out on the table in the morning. So we started thinking, let's do an Airbnb, Repub- DNC, and RNC-themed cereal. And because of our design backgrounds, we really, really had fun with this project. It was kind of a diversion um, that turned into a huge sensation, or at least like a, a, a w- way beyond what we ever expected. <laughs> so we created an Obama-themed cereal and a John McCain-themed cereal. And I can even tell you, so the Obama-themed cereal was Obama owes so let's say we got basically Cheerios, we just called them Obama-O's, the breakfast of change. And for John McCain cereal, we cre- we called it Captain McCain's, a maverick in every bite. So John McCain was a maverick in, in, or a captain in the Navy and actually we have the boxes.
0: So, captain McCain and Obama-O's, there's an Obama-O's box and a Captain McCain cereal, alright. <laughs> a maverick
2: That's in awesome, every a maverick in every bite. So the thing about the, these cereals Andrews, we did it for mainly one reason and that was to get press. Um, we thought that this would be a really unique item to send out to media outlets during the hype of the elections. Right, everybody's talking about Obama, people were reporting on really fun stuff like this. But the other thing that it got for us besides press is if you look on the top, you'll see that each box is individually numbered out of 500. So we did a limited produ- production run to make it a collectible item and we actually sold these through the website. It just so happens that we ended up selling out of the Obama owes. Um Each box sold for $40. It was a collector's
1: item. People were so enthusiastic. They were willing to pay 40 bucks for these. And, you know, they're beautifully, um, you know, like like, re- like really it was like uh, we tried to pay attention to every little detail. So, you know, even the, the barcode, you know, like <laughs> really try to pay attention to all the details. The barcode looks really beautiful. like...
2: I guess an so elephant or a donkey up, uh-huh um, the donkey exactly yeah. there's the donkey so we ended up funding the company in these early days through the sale of breakfast cereal uh, are yeah, you, guys making, excited, um, you guys as excited you guys in the 30, live 000. audience
0: are you as excited as i am about this i love you guys now that we can actually talk and hear each other this is awesome this story is incredible <laughs> the, for yeah. any company, for any group of guys who are worried about making money, to come up with one of these ideas that you guys have <laughs> is tremendous. But to come up with them one after another, after another, after another, makes me say, how? How are you able to come up with all these ideas? While, by the way, you're not just in college, you're not just smoking a bong, you're not just hanging out, <laughs> you've got responsibilities. How do, how do you do it? I'd like, to, I'd like to be able to crank out great ideas like this.
1: Um, how do we do it? Well, I, so we, we have a background in design and I remember we used to be in studios together and we would literally just, I think what happens is we don't just sit around and have like a light bulb idea. This idea came from a conversation and actually very much evolved. So the first thing was it would be cool to like have be able to give a breakfast to somebody and like okay that's cool we're talking about it for a while we're brainstorming we, we don't immediately have the brilliant idea it's kind of you know it takes a bit of time for us to realize that we should end up doing a cereal right a non-perishable that we can brand okay we're gonna do a DNC cereal RNC cereal you know as we're talking about this then we start saying well yeah you know, there's all this Obama all this Obama propaganda and, and it's like you know. Um, materials. We should create an Obama-themed cereal and a McCain-themed cereal. At that point, we're like, okay, we're creating an Obama-themed cereal, a McCain-themed cereal. We're brainstorming, and then at this point, we're just brainstorming names. But I I guess the key was, we didn't just one day say, we're going to create, oh, Obama-o's. It was very evolutionary. We're then brainstorming names for Obama-o's, names for Cat McCain's. I think it's a constant, like, conversation that we have. It goes back and forth, back and forth. And as you're talking about things, you basically get excited. And as you get excited, it's like new ideas pop up
0: so. And where do you know to or how do you figure out where to have this stuff made and how do you go through the trouble of having it all made? I'm sorry to get into, sometimes I get too into the tactics, but I got to tell you, (laughs) you have these ideas, they seem great. You go and try to execute them and you realize that it becomes a big diversion to your regular business, which is getting people to actually use the site. I'm wondering how you guys got over that hurdle.
2: Well, you know, at the time, Andrew, our, our big problem was awareness. We built the product. We had it. The product was great. It was working fine. Um, we just needed to let people know it existed. And so the serial was just an answer to that question. How do we let people know about us in a really unique way? Because you know, here in San Francisco, everybody is starting a startup. right? Everybody has a company that's trying to get press. So how do you rise above the noise level of you know, hundreds of thousands of companies trying to, like, all contacting the same reporters? Well, you do it through something that's completely original and completely unique and that like they get this and they're captivated. They can't put it down. They're telling everybody in the office about it. They're calling us to interview us. So I think, you know, the serial is really just answering that question of how do we create awareness about the site through a really fun, creative way. Um, you know, tactically speaking, I think the serial and a lot of elements of the website um, go back to where Brian and I went to school we studied and we met at the Rhode Island School of Design in Providence and uh, RISD has just a tremendous workload that if anything you graduate with um, an amazing work ethic and like the ability to kinda just take this abstract problem and turn it into something tangible
1: All right, let's let's go, Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead I was going to I was going to lead into Y Combinator now. I'm sure oh, uh, before
0: you get about. into Y Combinator, let yeah. me make sure that I'm that I'm checking out the chat room. All right, Rob in the chat room is saying 40 bucks a box. So you sold it for 40 bucks a box on the website, but you gave it to reporters for free. He's then doing the math and saying, "I think you guys said that you sold 1000 boxes. Does that mean that you brought in 40,000 bo- 40,000 from these things?" Like maybe 800 boxes around, so like 30,000. $30,000 came into you guys just for this cereal? Right. Alright, were you guys what Paul Graham calls ramen profitable, were you guys ramen profitable before the cereal? No. 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 It was still your own money that you were pouring into the business. Were you ramen profitable after the cereal? Um, I would
1: say no. I would say the cereal only basically helped us like kind of keep going but it 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 was like a temporary like injection of capital
0: why? Where was the money going? You had three guys who were working on the site, each coming at it from a different direction. What else did you need financially?
1: Really, it was just supporting three people to work on a website for a year without any salary. So, and, to you know, be able
0: to, to uh, pay your rent, to pay your food. So when guys who go through the Y Combinator program tell me that they needed the money in order to live while they were building their business, they really do, you really do need the money in order to live.
1: Right. I mean, you know, you've got to pay your rent, you got to pay your food, and, you know, at this point, we've been working on the site so long, like, yeah, I, I didn't have savings at this point. I was, like, literally living week by week. I think we, we
2: both racked up substantial credit card debt that, that year. How much credit because... card debt did you guys rack up? <laughs> uh, let just say thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars.
0: All right. I personally got into personal debt starting my first company of $70,000, and even when we oh. had money... I and my brother told me pay it off. I refused to pay it off because my my ritual was once a month sitting with all these credit cards and paying one card off with another and I said that's grounding me. That's reminding me to not get carried away when I see these huge sales numbers and to think like a human being and to feel a little bit of pressure about about smaller dollars. Um, so I see you guys were in a similar situation. You're now you're now running a business that's got a little bit of traction. You need to take it to the next level. How does why? oh, one more thing before we continue the backstory. We've referred to this business as Airbed and Breakfast or Airbnb, a couple of people in the chat room didn't hear of the site before, so I wanna make sure that they know that it used to be called Air Bed and Breakfast. You simplified it, now it's called Airbnb. Okay, so how does Y Combinator fit in?
1: So after we did the serial, here we were, we had a lot of confidence. Um, a number of people knew about the website, but still, it still—it wasn't even close to being profitable. We still had the chicken and egg problem. People are listing the rooms. Some people are booking, but clearly we didn't. We still didn't have enough momentum to keep going. We needed something from the outside to like kind of keep us going. And it wasn't just the money. We felt like we really needed like a great coach or mentor, somebody to get involved. Um, by the way, you know, after a couple of months, after selling these boxes. We literally were were such like such financial hardship that I started literally eating the Captain McCain's because we couldn't sell all the Captain McCain's, so I was just eating those. I
2: woke up one morning and one of these boxes was ripped wide open on the kitchen table. I'm like, Was a rat in here? And Brian's like, No, I got hungry for dinner last night. <laughs> that was what I no food, no
1: money. At that some point, that's what we're eating. So we're 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 pretty desperate again. And we decided on a whim to just apply last minute to white we had already launched. You know, plenty of perspectives on if you've already launched, should you do Y Combinator? Um, it, the long story short is we ended up getting in Y Combinator. And um, I remember on the interview, he brought the cereal. And, you know, Paul Graham said, he I remember him saying, like, he wasn't entirely sure of the idea. He said, well, it sounds di- different, but you guys sound like, I think he said animals. He's like relentlessly, relentlessly, resourceful is another way of putting it. And I said you. He said you guys just seem like you're going to do whatever it takes to succeed. And we basically said, well, yeah, absolutely. Like, and hopefully we've proven that so far. So we went into Y Combinator, and um, there was a real turning point for us. Um, Paul Graham really helped us focus on like a single market. So while we're all over the world. Um, I remember, Paul Graham, um, we're sitting in Mountain View, California, and uh, this is the very beginning of Y Combinator at this point, point. Um, and he basically asked us, outside of events, where is the majority of your business? And of course, we didn't have a lot of business, but the little business we had, the majority of that was happening in New York City uh, for various reasons, right? The hotels were really expensive in Manhattan, so our business was in New York, and so he told Paul, well, Paul, like the majority of our business is in New York City, and then Paul looks at us and he says, well, you're here in Mountain View. The majority of your business is in New York City. Why are you in Mountain View? Why don't you just go to New York City? And we're like, it was kind of a profound idea at the time. Really? We should go to New York City? So we ended up literally like booking a, booking a flight, and Joe and I went to New York City, and we decided to hit the ground and just basically go practically door-to-door, not quite, but pretty close, a door-to-door like meeting every single one of our users in New York. We met them, we talked about the website, we brought cameras with us. We took like, we're we're designers, so what we consider professional, very high quality photos of their places. We held a party where all they could all come meet us, get them really excited about the business, tell them, get them to bring their friends, then we tell their friends to to join the site. And the first trip we went, you know, we came back from New York in revenue, which was super, super flat, went up. It still wasn't substantial. But we came back from New York and all of a sudden, all of our bookings in New York went up. The quality listings were better, more people listed, and all of a sudden our bookings went up. And we started thinking to ourselves, well, it seems like every time we, when we go to New York, the revenue goes up, so we should go back to New York. So we literally, next, we go come back to YC for the Tuesday night dinner, work for a few days. Nate would be back here, you know, doing all the real work on the website. And then Joe and I would go fly back to New York. We'd fly back again, do the same thing, throw a bigger party. Photograph more properties, meet more users, kind of really work on the grounds, and um, that was really really important in the early days. The other reason it was important was we started using our site. We started realizing all the things we thought were awesome about our website were terrible, and we had no idea. But now now we're trying to book. We're like, oh my god, this is annoying. I, you know, you know. So we started realizing I want to see bigger room photos because I can't really get a sense of where I'm staying. And so we basically redesigned the website. We really put a lot of time in design, and we just kept going back to New York. We kept meeting our users. Um, I think there's a really important lesson here and that is if somebody watches will say, well that sounds really cool but that doesn't scale. Like if you're going to have a million people on your website and if this is going to be a really interesting business one day, you're going to want a million people and you can't go door to door and meet everyone and all million people. The answer is right, it doesn't scale and it turns out that the lesson that came from Paul Graham was do things that don't scale. Do things that don't scale. And for us that was do, that was our version of do things that don't scale. Why? Because that was our one opportunity while we still were small to meet our users and to kind of kind of instill our values and like kind of the the um, the vision we had to
2: the early people and also learn from them. It was weird up until this point, Andrew, we we'd be here in the apartment in San Francisco and making decisions about you know, things to do with the company and if the discussion ever come up, came up, does that scale? If the answer was no, we didn't do it. And we thought that you know, every, all, everything that we did here had to be able to someday support hundreds of thousands to millions of users. And it wasn't until Paul Graham you know, essentially, like, I feel like he gave us permission to go out and do things that absolutely don't scale at all. And um, it was a fundamental thing that that changed our company.
0: You know, what? I saw that in our email exchanges and I wanted to come in here and and talk to you about it because I thought you guys were going to say, do things that don't scale and then come up with a cute way of really telling me to do things that do scale because it didn't seem logical. You're building a growing (laughs) business. Why would you want to do something that doesn't scale? So I, I get a better understanding of it from what you're telling me now, but I want to challenge that a little bit to get an even clearer understanding. What's the purpose of doing something that doesn't scale when you're trying to build a business that grows?
2: Well, I mean I think if you don't if you're not willing to do things that don't scale, you may never get to the point where you have to scale to begin with, right? Um, I think at such an early stage in the company, it's so important to be in touch with your user base. Um, I mean the conversations that we have with our hosts in New York City shaped, shaped our business. It shaped the, the design of the website, it shaped our policies on the website. Um, they told us what they wanted. And this goes back to another Paul Graham um, quote, is make something that people want. And so those, by going door to door, by sitting down having coffee and tea, sometimes for hours with our hosts, they told us exactly what they wanted. They said, hey, if you guys added this feature, if you added this button, this function, I would love your website. And a lot of the things that they told us actually weren't that hard. So we'd come back to San Francisco, we'd make the updates to the website, and people would just be so happy back in New York. They, oh, my gosh, the co-founders flew out to see me. They listened to what I had to say. They changed the website to accommodate me. I love these guys. I'm going to start using them even more than I have been.
1: Right, right. And um, you know, one of the other really important things was that we didn't realize until we started meeting people what it would take to make this idea interesting. I'll give you a specific example. When we first created the website, we had really small room photos. The room photo photos were probably like, maybe three inches by three inches on a screen, right? maybe like 200 pixels by 200 pixels, something like that, they're very, very small. We started, we, we would see a small photo, then we go to the apartment and we go, wow, this place is beautiful. I would have never known the apartment, I would have never booked it unless I showed up here and realized how beautiful it was. So we said, we should take photos of this. We took photos of it and then we, we went back and we realized we should be showing bigger photos on the website, we would have never known that. Had we never done that, and the the other idea, and this is a, actually something that Paul Buckeye is one of the speakers at Y, um, y Connor as well. He said, he said, make something that a hundred people love, and it may take a year, it may take two years for a hundred people to love it, but that's the hardest you know thing to do is get not to make a million people fall in love with you, but make a hundred people fall in love with you. Because once a hundred people do, then if you are in a market where like there's many more people like them, then you basically solve the problem. And so for us. We had to meet people one by one until they literally like fell in love with their website. And we'd spend as much time until 100 people in New York fell in love with their website. And the idea was if 100 people in New York fell in love with their website, then 100 people in Paris would, 100 people in Boston would, all the people in New York, their friends would. We'd rather have a small base that really was passionate and loved us. And the only way we could do that was to like basically live with our users. They People say, talk to your users. We literally booked rooms and stayed with our users. We lived with them. We visited all of them. We had parties. We observed all the problems they were having. And one other really interesting thing happened we did that. So you remember, our, our website was still called Airbed and Breakfast. The idea was we thought our niche was to provide like airbeds and living rooms. That was kind of what we thought, couches, airbeds and living rooms. When we met people, we started realizing people said, you know, I really would love to rent this whole bedroom out or this entire apartment. And it actually turned out that our very first power user was a musician. This is actually an unbelievable story. So we go to this guy's apartment and he lives across, he has a beautiful place across the street from Carnegie Hall. This guy turns out to be Barry Manilow's drummer. Barry Manilow's drummer changed the course of our company forever. Because we met Barry Manilow's drummer, He, we realized that he didn't want to just list his bedroom, he, he wanted to list his entire apartment. Why? Because he goes on tour with Barry and they go to Providence, they'll go to Boston, he'll be away for a week at a time And suddenly, we found ourselves in a situation where we had a user, a really passionate user, that wanted to list his entire apartment on our website. That was entire user base that we didn't even realize wanted to use our product. As soon as we did that, we started saying, why don't we add the option to rent out your entire home, your entire apartment on our website? It turns out that that's a huge portion of our business now. We may have never even known that. We opened that use case up, and it really started to change things over the course of our uh, Y Combinator.
0: I see. All right. That's really intense user experience. That's really intense. Um, uh, well, I did an interview with Eric Stevens who, did, who does listening labs for companies. He brings users into, their, into his office and he watches them interact with websites. He watches them interact with, uh, with, with random sites, with Google, with his competitor sites, with his own site, and just by watching them he's able to see where they stumble. It seems like you guys did that to a much more intense degree right and and maybe this doesn't scale but I can see how this would how this could continue being part of a company a part of a growing company you can always send people in to to watch your users you can always send people in to use to use your site you guys can always keep experiencing it right we still
1: use the product we still host people we still travel and you know we just came back from New Year's Eve where we had a meetup in New York City and I think a hundred fifty people came our very first meetups Actually, our very first meetup in New York was another crazy story. Where I'll, I'll, a long story short, we had I think one person come to our meetup. <laughs> and it was really awkward because it was like me and this other person. That was like the big meetup, me in a bar with all these shots, and then one other person. I thought like a hundred people were going to be there, um, but you know, on New Year's Eve this year, we had like 150 people. So, you know, the community is super, super important. The reason why is that our users are meeting in person. It's we're very sensitive to that. They're, And so we want to be able to be in touch. We don't want to be in, like, the ivory tower or over here, you know, in San Francisco. When people are meeting in Buenos Aires and meeting in Paris, meeting in New York, we want to go to these places. We went to Paris. We've been to London, Miami, Vancouver, L.A., Chicago, D.C., Boston. We have already traveled to a significant number of cities, and we plan to to visit
0: more as well. I hope you guys come to Buenos Aires where I am. I'm not listed, but if you guys come, I'll list myself just to have you guys over. (laughs) (laughs) All right, <laughs> deal. <laughs> um. Let's see. Let's see what else I've got here in my notes. I wanted to find out about how your your uh, your design is just so intuitive, and now I've gotten an, an understanding of it. Um, ad buys. A couple of people in the ch- oh, actually, sorry. Before I go to my question, Andrew S G in the audience is saying. Really, you guys didn't understand that bigger pictures and better descriptions would lead to more bookings. Now, in retrospect, it seems obvious. Why do you think that at the time it didn't seem as obvious as it does now to to us in retrospect?
1: Well, I think that you can answer that question by saying that in retrospect, our business seemed obvious, right? You looking back, like didn't this business seem entirely obvious? Well, at the time, you know, all of our friends were really, really smart. Like they didn't really piece it together. Um, in fact. Our photos were still bigger than Craigslist photos. Craigslist, they have four tiny little photos. Our room photo was the same size. It was, we thought that was okay. Um, you know, on Couchsurfing, they had like a big profile photo, but there was no listing room. So we figured, you know, we took the same size, like the photo from Couchsurfing, the photo from Craigslist, put it together. That was interesting to us. And you know, I, I agree that looking back, it seems so obvious except that we talked to so many people and our entire business, not just the room photos, our entire business didn't seem obvious until we started doing it.
0: Uh, and you know, now
1: everyone looks back and says, why didn't I think of that? But it turns out that as you can see for us, it wasn't like we had this brilliant idea one day. Like, it was very iterative.
0: Alright, let's go back to uh, what was the year that you guys presented to Y Combinator?
1: So we—it was exactly a year ago. Um, we
2: did
0: the winter of '09. So
2: January 2009. Okay. Let's say this. Let's go
0: back in time. You guys get the okay from Y Combinator. They say yes, we're going to give you the money. They tell you what share of the business they take. Let's assume five minutes afterwards, Andrew Warner walks up to you and says, "Guys." I'm gonna give you the exact same money as Paul Graham I'm gonna take half the equity but I'm gonna live in Buenos Aires where I'm gonna do my interviews I'll, I'm gonna be hands off I'll check in with you guys later remember half the equity same amount of money what do you say in retrospect even
1: um, in retrospect I would't have done anything differently than working with Paul Graham um, you know in it, the value wasn't the money um, you know the Tell money, me the about money
0: that. that's what I'm getting at
1: right right the, the money the money in fact, I don't. I don't think we used a good portion of that money that we um, for Y Combinator because over the course of the first few weeks in Y Combinator, we started going to New York. Also, we actually became profitable over the course of Y Combinator. You know, our the revenue we're making was then funding our operations. The money became the least significant part of Y Combinator. And I, I hear discussions on Hacker News or other websites uh, debates about whether Paul Graham gives a good valuation or whether it's worth the money and the thing I can tell you is that Paul Graham is like for us, and this is our personal experience. We made sure that we knew when we were t- giving away the equity and we were going to Y Combinator, the value wasn't the money. The value Paul Graham. We were, you know, we were sure that we want to get as much time with Paul Graham as possible. So, we took the opportunity, we met with him numerous times before Y Combinator even started. I mean, it was over the Christmas holidays we were meeting with him. We, um, you know, during, during Y Combinator, we would, we'd, even though we'd be in New York City, we'd be the first ones at every Y Combinator dinner. We were almost always the first ones at every Y Combinator dinner. We met him once a week, sometimes twice a week, we spent a lot of time with him. Um, he was one of the people that inspired us to do certain things like show big room photos on the homepage, like really nice places. At the time before that, we didn't even do that. Maybe that also seems obvious looking back, but you know, he was really provided guidance. He was the one that gave us permission to do certain things. Um, I think he's seen so many startups that he knows patterns. Right? As long as he can't like motivate you, you know, he can't do that. That's not really what he does. But if you are already motivated, he knows he's seen enough startups that he can start to pick up patterns. And for us, that was super super important.
2: Any problem that you're going through during Y Combinator, there's a very, very high percentage, uh, high probability that he's seen it before and he's seen how other people have solved it. Um, so he's just full of so much information and, and great advice. And if he doesn't know the answer to it, the other value behind Y Combinator is the camaraderie that you have with the other 20 plus companies that are sitting next to you, to your left and your right, people who are really, really smart, really, really ambitious. And they're in the same boat that you are. They've got a great idea for something and they're just trying to get traction, trying to get it off the ground to the next level. So there's a great sort of like team mentality um, of all these really smart minds um, during the White Combinator class.
0: I, I, I'm using Justin TV to broadcast this live and I'm having a little bit of issues with it. I think they made a change and maybe my system's not ready for their change. So people, what I'm trying to say is people can't hear us live for some reason. I'm gonna reboot the live stream for them. Sorry, guys. Um, no is? Let's see, let's see. All right, you know what? Oh, let's do it, let's give them a little bit of sound. Now I see why people like the transcripts. The transcripts don't have any of these bugs. It's just debt. Actually, no, the transcripts also have their own issues. I use Mechanical Turk for that. And Mechanical Turk is is done by strangers who sometimes do a great job and other times just flub it on purpose. Okay. Um, all right, almost, almost ready. Uh, deny, deny. Um, Allow, I'll just tell him it crapped out. Okay. All right. We'll just go right back into it. Uh, Okay. So we had a little bit of trouble with the live audience. I edited out the piece where I was trying to bring them back on. Um, So let me do that again. (coughs) Uh. All right. Had a little bit of an edit here too. Had some trouble with the live audience. I needed to work on the feed. Let's get back into the interview. And I had another question about Y Combinator. Uh, I don't want to make this into just a Y Combinator interview, but I'm fascinated, and I've talked to so many entrepreneurs who, just by going through the process, have told me that their whole business turned around. You guys are telling me it, it turned profitable just through that uh, Y Combinator process. What about this? Talk to several startups who've gone through it who've said that guys like you who've already built your business before going through Y Combinator have an advantage over people who in the short period that they're in Y Combinator have to come up with a business, get it off the ground, launch it, and then present it to investors. What do you think about that?
1: I totally agree. Um, in fact, I think that there's this kind of misconception at Y Combinator that you enter Y Combinator with an idea and over like a few months you build a product, it gets traction, and then by demo day you know, it's suddenly a viable company and I don't think that's how it works. And I go back to us it took us a year just to figure out what we were doing. Um, I think that had we entered Y Combinator back in, you know, even March of 2008 or a year before, we would not have been where we are now. Um, my advice is for people that have already kind of figured out, like. So they already have something going. They've already kind of struggled through an idea and figured it out. I think those are the people that are at the best advantage. And then Paul Graham can, you know, I wouldn't use YCOMER to necessarily figure out what you want to work on. I'd use YCOMER when you know what you want to work on and then Paul Graham can help you like kind of steer the right way. So I think it was a huge advantage. And the other advantage to us was we had something, we met with Paul Graham, I think, maybe more than anyone else in Wicometer, as much as anyone else. We met him a lot. The reason why is on day one, you know, a lot of other people they don't have a product done. they're like afraid to talk to him or they don't, there's not really much to talk about. Even before Y Combinator, we had already launched, so we were meeting him like many times before it started. And then on the first day of Y Combinator, we're having meetings about users and bookings. We're going through the site and spending a lot of time. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like we, we we had the last two weeks to show him our product. We were, you know, we had the entire course of Y Combinator to have all the people in our group test it. Paul, try it. We're like changing things. I think that was a huge advantage. And I recommend people, if they're considering do Y Combinator, um, you really invest the time up front before you enter. I think it'd be
0: you get more out of it. Now, I want to understand how he does this, and I'm going to have Paul Graham here on Mixergy soon. We're just picking out a date right now. What can I ask him that will give me insight into his process? I want to learn the way that you guys want to learn from from him.
2: Mm. Mm. That's a good question. Yeah.
0: You know what? You want to give it give it some thought offline and if you have any yeah. ideas of what I can ask or what kind of insight I should be pulling from the interview, let me know by email. I want to get as much value out of that interview as I as I can. Yeah. You know he, what? Because here's the thing. He's very thought out and very methodical, but at the same time, a large part of his process seems mysterious. Like he's thinking through <laughs> how how many computers he has at his office so he has one that's offline and one that's online so that when he's doing work and doesn't want to be distracted he could go to his offline computer according to one of his essays he's thinking through a lot of things very methodically but a lot of times when I talk to guys like you you tell me that he came up with an idea that changed everything but that idea seemed to come out of thin air somehow it's not like he said we, we have this five-step process, go do the five-step process, trust me, come on, guys, you're young, you don't understand it, this, this process worked for all my companies, go do it. No, he's saying, I got the idea for you, go fly to New York. You guys came all the way here, get out of here, go fly to New York, <laughs> that's my idea, and, boom. That was pretty much- yeah. and I'm gonna interview so many other Y Combinator companies, not one of them is gonna say, he told me to go fly to New York. There's no formula, <laughs> formula here that I could pick up on.
1: Right, there is no formula. I, I think what he does is he listens very well to exactly like what your situation is, what your problem is. He's very imaginative and like he's not gonna, the thing is like he's not gonna think of the idea of your business. He's gonna think of like things you haven't thought of to tackle a problem. And for us, our problem was we had to get to better know our users. We had to, right, that's what we need to do. And so he thought idea would go to New York. How does he think of these ideas? I mean, I think he's just, maybe that's one of the questions ask him. Like, like you can ask him specifically in our situation, how did he know to tell us, to go to New York when a lot of other people would have said, are you seriously going to fly all the way to New York to like meet like 10 different people for listing a for a weekend? Yeah. Like, Why would you think that's a good idea? No one else thought well, that was going to be a good idea. In fact, I think if we told anyone else, they would have said that would be a terrible idea. But we said, well, Paul Graham said to do it. So we're like, all right, well, we'll give it a try. How do you know to tell us to do that? Um,
0: Another I'm thing I'd ask,
2: I'd also right. ask him, Andrew, um, what does he look for in people? Because a lot of times I think that Y Combinator will actually um, – take a company on, not necessarily because of the idea, but more because of the team behind it. So I think he has some intuitive sense of like what makes a great team that can tackle any idea. It really doesn't even matter what the idea is. So they could take on any problem, but if the, the team is there, the chemistry, the ambition, the drive, I, he's got a really good insight into that.
1: And I think in our case, he invests in the team. And I think that you know, after we showed him how passionate we were, showed him we went through making cereal. I think he saw certain qualities. So understanding what qualities he sees in founders, yeah, All
0: right, he's the one who turned you guys profitable.
1: Um, I maybe uh, maybe he would say that he helped us, you know, do that. But I do think that, white, that without White commenter, we would not be where we are today. I,
0: we were just I mean, you we haven't were lost the profit. History. What? You're still profitable today. You haven't lost yeah. it. Okay. All right. Um in the chat room I'm getting uh, I'm getting a note here saying Andrew basically what they're saying what this one guy saying is that my love for this whole conversation is getting a little bit weird. All right, let's move on. I, I I'm fascinated by Y Combinator. You can't keep doing interviews with entrepreneurs who are just who are just hitting the ball over and over who are, who are doing well over and over and keep telling you that it's because of this one program and not say, wow, there's something to this freaking program there's something amazing here if, if people told me there was something else I'd be just as passionate about that something else alright ad buys I did some research for you I googled you guys I googled all kinds of um, all kinds of words that would lead me to you guys and I saw that you guys were buying ads in Google right Yep. What other, how big a source of traffic is that for you? What percentage of your overall business is coming from Google now? So, um, th- th-
1: there's maybe like four fundamental ways that we get traffic but there, you know there's many others. One is just word of mouth, right? People use this press. Press kind of is like the thing that starts it. Then after people use it, word of mouth kind of keeps that going. And the other two big like things are, um, is, and they're very unique to travel. They're unique to every site but travel is specific. SEO and SEM. And they're becoming more pro- important to us. I mean, we can't disclose exactly the amount of revenue coming from them, but you know, as one of you, I think Andrew had mentioned SEO, like we have a lot of work to do. I would agree. We have a lot of work to do with SEO and with SEM. We also have a lot of work to do. Um, but we know that in our key markets, it makes sense because our traffic is monetizable. And our business model is very simple. We take a 10% transaction fee. So, you know, if we can acquire a user for a certain dollar, we know exactly the conversion rate we need to have in that user in order to be able to afford those keywords. And so, you know, we go after our key markets, our key cities. You probably typed in New York. Maybe you typed in a couple other of our popular cities. We buy up the common keywords people are searching in those cities. And as long as the conversion rate's high, then SEM works well for us. And SEM in the travel space is, of course, an important factor. Though, you know, it's just one piece, you know. I think, ultimately, um, you know, Word of mouth has been the thing that's helped us by far the most, because we don't pay for that. And that is, those are the most passionate
0: users. All right, um, we went way over with this interview. But Joe, what, um, let's end it with this. What's next for you guys, Joe?
2: Well, uh, 2010 is gonna be a big year for Airbnb. Um, I think 2009, we, we used to figure out a lot of the parts of the product, a lot of parts of our customer service. We, we've kind of built our operation now. So I think uh, 2010 is really the year where um, you'll see Airbnb in more and more international cities all around the world. Um, I think um, there's just so much opportunity not only in the United States but but abroad as well. Um, So I think you're going to see you know Airbnb in just major major cities around the world: Paris, London, Madrid, Barcelona, Rome, Berlin, Buenos Aires, Buenos Aires. Um, you know, we're a San Francisco based company, so obviously we started in the United States and we, we have substantial traction here now, but I think really just going worldwide with this really taking the success we've seen here in the U.S. to the countries you know, that have the key cities all around the world. And you guys
0: venture backed? Did you need any funding after Y Combinator?
1: No, after Y Combinator we were able to you know reach profitability and we've used our revenue to fund our operating expenses.
0: Okay. So you don't have to sell at any point soon to satisfy investors. You could just <laughs> no, continue yeah. at your own rate. Um, and right. Rob in the audience is saying, did he say earlier that there was a, uh, no, not Rob, somebody else is asking, was there a 10% margin? No, it's 10% of the transaction costs, right? If I spent a hundred bucks, uh, to rent, to rent a room through you guys, you guys end up with 10 bucks from that. Okay. So, right. no, uh, do you guys tell us what the revenues were for the business?
1: Yeah, we're not disclosing you that. Didn't. Can you give so us a
0: sense of where they are? Are we are we over a million a year yet? Are we over a million a month yet? <laughs> okay. Yeah, we can't disclose that. So okay, fair that's enough. That's cool. I've got to ask, but it's, it's uh, yep. uh, But I understand completely that you wouldn't say it yet. Ten years, when we look back on this, I'll come back, I'll do another yeah, you interview will, you'll with ask, you guys. Tell you. Then you could be more open. All right, any yep. last words? Anything else? Uh, any other advice you want to give entrepreneurs who are starting out?
1: Um, oh, yeah, we have one. We would like to end with one um, email that a user. So, this is our advice, and then we're going to in with the email. Our advice is: you know, Paul Graham says, make something people want, and we kind of you know, uh, tweaked that a little. And, and our, our, our kind of saying in the company is, make something people need. You like, absolutely should make something people need. And um, Joe's going to read an email from a user.
2: I'm just going to show you the um, subject line of this email. Can you see that? It says, You saved us. So this is from an actual user. um, And they go on to write, Hi, Airbnb. I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that you literally saved us. My husband and I married this past May after having lost both of our jobs and our investments in the stock market crash last year. We slowly watched our savings dwindle to a point where we didn't have enough to pay our own rent. At that point, I had recently listed our New York City apartment on your site and was receiving so many requests that we decided to rent out our place and seek low-cost vacation accommodations for ourselves elsewhere. We saved enough money to rent another apartment across the hall that we now have listed on your site as well. You gave us the ability to keep our home, travel together, and have the peace of mind knowing that we are going to make it through this challenging time in our life. Thank you so much.
0: Oh Wow, that's awesome. So you guys are (laughs) making them into into (laughs) hoteliers.
2: Wow, There's many, many stories like that from all around the world.
0: Congratulations. Congratulations on the success. I'm really glad I got to meet you. Thanks for spending all this time with us. Uh, Thank you you guys in the live audience for watching and for dealing with all the tech issues as we got it out there. Um, And for everyone who's watching us on the recorded version, Give me your feedback. Let me know what you thought of the questions here. Did it get a little bit awkward when I kept asking them questions about Y Combinator? How about when I kept asking them questions about how much money they made even though in the pre-interview they said, and we both agreed that we weren't going to get into details about that. Um, All right. Let me know whatever feedback you guys have. Guys, thanks for doing the interview. I'll see you all in the Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. Bye. Bye.